This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. <laughs> okay, Parshish Bishalach, everyone. Parak Yud Galid Pasig Gimel. This is toward the beginning of the parsha, and it says, "Va'omar Paro Livnei Yisrael." Paro said about Bnei Yisrael. I know it says Livnei Yisrael, to Bnei Yisrael, but he spoke about Bnei Yisrael. Nevuchim heim ba'aretz that they're confused in the land. Sagar leim on midbar, and that the desert has closed in on them, that they can't get out of the desert. There's no way for them to get out of the desert. So here's what happened: after Bnei Yisrael left Mitzrayim, they were still they had no idea where they were supposed to go. Moshe Rabbeinu was sit- sitting, waiting for instructions from Hakadosh Baruch Hu, who told them to turn back, go backward, and camp by Piachiros, the idol known as Baltzafon, which we talked about a few years ago. This was done so that Paro was going to hear what was going on from his spies that were there, that they were heading backward, and he would think that they were lost in the desert. They didn't have any directions. And that's exactly what Ba'amar Paro is Hashem is telling Moshe, I'm telling you to go backward so that Paro will be confused and not know what's going on. He'll think there's no God leading them, right, or even God was confused where to go, Chas Shalom. And that would trick Paro into coming after them, eventually leading to their destruction at Kriyas Yamsuf. And that was the plan. The plan was a very clear plan. So that's Rashi. Rashi says, live in Yisrael, means about B'nai Yisrael. Paro was not talking to them. They had already left, right? Everybody had left Mitzrayim already. So rather he's talking to the advisors, the leaders, whoever was with him, he spoke about B'nai Yisrael and he said, all right, they're clearly confused. Let's go after them. And that's the idea behind it. He gives a couple examples of this. Rashi does. He says, Hashem yilachem lachem. Hashem is going to wage war, not to you, but for you. In other words, for the, I guess, against the Egyptians, for yourselves. And so to Imri li achihu, if everybody remembers from Avram, Avram, Avram tells Sarah Imen, or Sarai at the time, was told, tell Imri li, say about me, Achihu, he is my brother. Lee is about me. Not say to me, but say about me. And that's the idea behind it. Sephis Bracha says sometimes we see that an ayin, because phonetically there's no way to really pronounce it, and I realized that back in the day that the ayin was a guttural sound that came from the throat, but the ayin is still a phonetically absent sound. It's something that's not really there. Therefore, the ayin could be missing in certain words. In Parshas Mitzorah, Parakyadalapasamamalaf, the word hiktsu is really hiktsau. There's a missing ayin. Yoshua Dalid Yurchas Nitku is really neetku. The ayin is missing, even though it seems to change the word, nonetheless an ayin apparently is a letter that could be taken out and it's able to be missing. And so too over here, livne should be albene, albene Yisrael. That's how the Tosefis Bracha explains it. By the way, that's a massive chiddish. That forget about the fact that it's in the middle of the word and the ayin is missing. This is, it's a whole word that's missing and the lamed goes with livne Yisrael, with bene Yisrael. That's a big chiddish, but that's what he says. And to Ferris Yonason, he says that it seems strange in the context of the Pasuk. Look at the wording of the Pasuk. Ve'omar paro. Not vayomer paro. Vayomer is and he'll say. Ve'omar is and he said past tense. Livnei Yisrael sounds like you're talking to Bnei Yisrael. He explains that a Kaddish Paro who would never have hardened Paro's heart and made him go after Bnei Yisrael, and brought him to Kriyas Yamsuf, if he had not already brought this upon himself. While Bnei Yisrael were still in Egypt, he told them, Ru'u ki ra'a neged that Mars, or the evil Ra, 
the God of Egypt was against you. And he warned them that he would come after them and kill them if he ever left. He had already said this to Ben Israel before. The Omar Paro of Ben Israel, not that Paro was saying it now. No, 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 no. Paro was not saying it now. He already said about Ben Israel, and therefore, Hachbadas Libo, his hardening of the heart, happened because of it. So that's how Tzfaris Yonason understands this puzzle. It's not what he's saying now, it's what he said then, and therefore he was able to have his heart hardened. Dave, yeah, what's your question? Right. The nation, so it's funny, you could still be living in this land. I don't want to go into, you know, a, a, a full answer for this. Let's go with the, the easy answer. The easy answer is kapara. That's the easy answer. The easy answer is they needed that kapara, whatever Kriyas Yamsuf gave them, that's the easy answer. I think that's the quickest, easiest answer. But there's a bigger answer. And believe me, I'll, I'll talk about you, but I, not right now. But there is a bigger answer to all that. It's more than just kapara, obviously. There's got to be something more than that. Targum Yonasan says the most amazing thing in the world. And if you haven't seen this Targum Yonasan, look at it inside. This is one of the craziest Targum Yonasans you'll ever see. Paro said this to Bnei Yisrael, not about Bnei Yisrael, to them. He spoke to Dasan and Aviram, the Dasan and Aviram, our favorite characters, right, who appear throughout. Dasan and Aviram stayed in Mitzrayim, and Paro was talking to them and said, it seems that Bnei Yisrael is confused. Dasan and Aviram apparently had stayed in Egypt. They did not leave with the rest of the people at Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. They stayed there in Egypt. And we have no idea why Targum assumes it was them. We have no idea how he knows that Paro is speaking to them. But Livne Yisrael are the two rebellious ones. Dust and Aviram, they're the ones that Paro talked to. Now, this is also brought by the Medrash Socher Tov, which is also a safer that's written. I have it in my house. It's a Medrash. That brings it out in Shmos, page 188. Torah Shlema, Kasher, brings a Haggadah from Nusach Teiman in which he says that during Makas Choshech, Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu that he was going to kill all those Jews who won't want to leave. They won't want to leave Mitzrayim. And during that Makkah, they were all going to die. Moshe begged and prayed and said, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you can't do that. You can't do that. Let them live. Maybe they'll want to go. You have to give them that Bechira. Maybe they'll want to leave. Give them the option. Let them see Makas Bechoros. And maybe they'll want to come with us. Maybe that'll change their mind. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, it's not going to work. And they're not going to be good people. And I'll prove it to you because I'll leave two of them and you'll see that they won't leave anyway. And those two people were Dustin and Aviram. They should have died during Makas Choshech. They didn't die during Makas Choshech because of Moshe Rabbeinu's Tfilos. And they were the ones who stayed and spoke with Paro and convinced Paro to go after B'nai Yisrael. Unbelievable. Absolutely. But now, yes, we have this type of medrash so many times over. We have it by the Erevrav, right? The Erevrav leaving. We have it by Micha, who is a brick in the wall. We have it by Dustin and Aviram themselves, how they were born. Apparently, there were babies thrown into the river, and, and he, the, the Nile River, and Moshe Rabbeinu pulled them out. There's these midrashim all over the place, what could have been or what should have been, and Moshe Rabbeinu Davin, and Hashem said, don't do it, but I'll do it, etc. And this is yet another one. This is a unique one. That's what the Torah Shlema brings down from that Haggadah Nusach Teiman. 
But the Edus Biosif asked this question as well, and I've got three other answers to this. How did they not die during Choshech? Four-fifths of B'nai Yisrael died during Choshech. Four-fifths of them. And Dustin and Avirim are not part of it? How did they not die during Makas Choshech itself? So he says the following, this is brilliant. Dustin and Avirim had no idea that B'nai Yisrael were leaving permanently. They had no idea. They thought, because this is what Moshe Rabbeinu told Paro originally, that they were planning on leaving for three days, going for the Chag, and then coming back. That's what they thought. They honestly thought that way. They never thought anything different. B'nai Yisrael knew they were leaving forever. B'nai Yisrael knew that they were not coming back. But Dustin and Aviram did not know. Why? Why didn't they know? How did everyone else know but Dustin and Aviram didn't? Because there were two Malshinim among B'nai Yisrael. Two tattletales in Bnei Yisrael. Two Mosrim. And they did it before. They told on Moshe Rabbeinu, and they almost had him killed. They said that Moshe Rabbeinu killed an Egyptian, and they almost had him killed. They were afraid of what was going to happen. So listen to this. Says Zedus Beosef, they knew that Dustin and Aviram were close to the Paro. They knew that there were Malshinim, and they could tell on them at any time. So they kept it a secret. They kept it a secret and did not tell Dustin and Aviram the whole time that they were leaving permanently. They told them, yeah, we're leaving for three days. So Dustin and Aviram said, we don't want to leave for three days. We want to leave forever. If we're not leaving forever, we're not going. And Dustin and Aviram stayed by Paro. They didn't say anything. They just said, yeah, they're going for three days. When the Jews stayed out for more than three days, Paro turned to them. Omar Paro lived in Yisrael. He turned to Bnei Yisrael. He said, what happened? Why didn't they leave? I don't know. Why did they leave? What happened? Why are they more than three days? And Dustin and Aviram were like, we don't know. They must be confused. They must be lost. I don't understand what happened over here. It doesn't make any sense. It shouldn't have happened. They weren't sure what to do at that point. This is the Alshech as well. He spoke to the Uzneaum, the ears of the people, so that they wouldn't tell anyone, they wouldn't tell anyone in charge of Mitzrayim what they were really planning on doing. And as much as you think to yourself, well, how in the world could a secret like that be kept, Right. I mean, 10,000 Hasidim kept it from the New York government that they were having a wedding in Satmar. Apparently, it's chay. It, it is Shaykh. You can do this. If you can get 10,000 people in a wedding hall without, make, without letting anyone know and getting everyone inside there, then you can do this. You can do it. You could have a couple million people that, that are living in their own town not telling anyone what their real plans were. And even though everyone knew Dustin and didn't, and therefore they weren't punished. Anyone who knew that they were leaving forever and didn't want to go died. They're the ones who died during Choshech. But they didn't know, so therefore they weren't punished. Isn't that brilliant? Such a crazy answer. It's a crazy answer. That's one answer. Number two, the Maral Diskin has a different answer. Dustin and Aviram were among the Shotrim, the officers who were Jewish, who were hit because they didn't want to force the Jews to make their own bricks. It's at the end of Parsha Shmos, Paro gets angry at Moshe and says, near Pimatem, near Pim, you guys are lazy. You're going to make your own bricks now. I'm not just going to supply your bricks. You're going to make your own bricks, and then you have to fulfill your quota, etc. You have to do even more. You have to go get your straw, and you have to go to whatever it is. And Dustin and Aviram were among the other men who went to Paro complaining, saying this is not fair, and he hit them. He gave them makos, gave them makos because they were complaining about what was happening to Bnei Yisrael. Now, those people, says Rashi right there, they were Zoha to have Ruach HaKodesh and to eventually become the Zikanim of Klau Yisrael because they cared so much they were willing to get hit and they were Moser Nefesh for Klau Yisrael. They were rewarded. This is the reward. They were rewarded to become the Zikanim of Klau Yisrael, but not two of them. Dustin and Aviram were evil people. 
They felt bad for the Jews, but they were evil people. They did not deserve to become Zikanim. They did not deserve to be on Sanhedrin. They didn't deserve for that to happen, for them to have Ruach HaKodesh. So what did happen to them? They were Zoha to stay in Mitzrayim and not die. That was the one schus that they had because they were hit for Klau Yisrael. They were Moser Nefesh for Klau Yisrael. Therefore, their schus allowed them, even though they didn't want to leave, they were allowed to still live through Makas Choshech. They didn't die during Choshech. That was their schus. Okay, that's an unbelievable moral discount. Third answer. I always thought this. This is my answer, but I found it in the Tam Bedas for Sternbach. The only people that died during Choshech were the people who didn't believe Hashem had the ability to take them out of Mitzrayim. Those are the people who died during Choshech. If you didn't believe Hashem could do it, if you didn't believe He could do it, you died during Choshech. If you believed He could do it, you just didn't want to go, that was Dustin Aviram. You lived. You did not die during Choshech. They believed it. They had bitachon. They knew that God was great. They had no question about God. They questioned most Rabbeinu's ability. They never questioned God until the very end. By Korach, they questioned God, and that's when they died. But these were people who believed that HaKadosh Baruch had the power. They just didn't think they had the merits to do so. They didn't think the Moshe Rabbeinu was great enough to do so. That's why Dustin Aviram survived Choshech and were able to, even though they stayed in Mitzrayim, nonetheless. And then the Rush happens to also say that. In Perikid Pesach of Beis, Right, he says they never gave up on the Geula, and the Das Zikanim, the Moshe of Zikanim, sorry, says that in Parshas Korach. But listen to that Moser. You could be a Russia Gamur, and that's what Dustin of Yerim were. Dustin of Yerim were Rishayim Gamurim. But if you believe in Hashem, even though your Taivas take you in the wrong direction, you could be saved miraculously. You could have a Yeshua, a Yeshua, and you could be taken out. You are, you should have died, and you won't die. That's the greatness of what happened to Dustin Aviram. But then he got a problem. Okay, wait a second. Dayelis Shachar, Rav Steinman, that's the Kash of the year. Instead of Dustin Aviram didn't join Bnei Yisrael, then they're on the wrong side of the Yamsuf. How'd they get on the other side? How did they cross with Bnei Yisrael? What did they do? Bnei Yisrael crosses the Yamsuf. They're with Paro. So how in the world did they get to the other side, right? It's like the chicken on the road. Like, you want to get there. You know you're supposed to. What did they do? Now, it could be they went around the Yam. That could all obviously be. There are opinions of the Rishonim, the Ibn Ezra, the, Mar- the Rambam. Tosis brings it in Arach and Tesvav that they went in a semicircle in the Yam. So they went, they entered and exited on the same side of the desert. So that's easy enough. They could meet them on the other side. That wasn't that big of a deal. But there are other answers here that are brilliant. The Marl Diskin says, they were asked by Paro to join B'nai Yisrael and convince them to come back. They were the spies. So they went ahead, joined B'nai Yisrael, and were nearly successful. If you remember, on the Yamsuf, when they were standing on the Yamsuf, there were people that said, let's go back to Mitzrayim. Nitno Rosh Venashuva Mitzrayim. We'll go back to Mitzrayim. That actually was said later. But they wanted to go back to Mitzrayim. And that was from Dustin and Aviram. Dustin and Aviram tried convincing them to go back and was almost successful. They were almost successful. When Moshe Rabbeinu then split the sea, they crossed along with them because they realized they were wrong. They did Shuva and they ended up going ahead and they went through. Okay, that's the moral discount. The Medrash Seichel Tov says when they saw the sea split, they surreptitiously ran away from Paro and crossed as soon as they could. They hid themselves from Paro and were able to get themselves across. That's what he says. But then comes the Be'er Mayim Chaim. You heard this word before? The Be'er Mayim Chaim about Dustin and Aviram? 
from Charnowitz, Rav Tzir of Charnowitz, says, Bnei Yisrael hochu bayabasha besochayam. Bnei Yisrael went on dry land in the middle of the sea. Bnei Yisrael is at least two people. The two people who went across the sea on dry land were Dasan and Aviram. Bnei Yisrael crossed the Amsuf, I, obviously, and they made it. Mitzrayim was drowned. Mitzrayim was drowned. And Dustin and Aviram were standing there. And they said, now what do we do? And the sea split again just for them. The sea split only for Dustin and Aviram. They had such thoughts of tshuva that the Kriyas Yamsuk happened another time after the Egyptians were destroyed just for Dustin and Aviram. They deserved another split. And if we say that the Yamsuk split 12 times, one for every Shavit, a 13th split for Dustin and Aviram. That is absolutely unbelievable. Literally unbelievable. You mean to tell me that Dustin and Aviram were zoka to a Kriyas Yamsuf on their own? Can you imagine B'nai Yisrael singing the Shira? Oh, is your Shira Moshe? And they're sitting there. And all of a sudden it splits again. And Dustin and Aviram come across. And they look at them and they're like, what happened to you? They're like, we did Shuva. We feel horrible. We were wrong. That's unbelievable. So Amunis Itako Rav Wolfson in Chelek Gimel, page 45, explains what happened over here. He says the following. He says, the Yamsu split into 12 different splits. It was one for each Shevet to walk through. As Targum Yonason explains a little bit later in this parsha. It's because, he says, each Shevet has a certain tikkun that only they can do and no one else can. Did you know this? That technically, the Nusach of Tefillah, we know that Ashkenaz is different from Sfard, and Sfard is different from Sfardi, and we know that there's Edusa Mizrach, there's different Nusachs. According to Revolson, he brings it down from Sfarim HaKedoshim. That's the good one, right? There are 12 splits in the sea because every Shevet had a different Nusuch how to get close to God. There were 12 gates, Sha'arim, getting into the base of Mikdash because every Shevet had a different way of having their tefillahs go up to HaKadosh Baruch when the gates represented that. There are 12 windows inside a shoal. Not every shoal has this, but a shoal should have... I don't, I know, I know, I know, I'm trying. There's, we have 10. I'm trying to get another two. But it, 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 there's 12 windows that sit in a shoal in order for every shape and everything that goes up there. They say that the Arizal, the reason why he made what we know of as Nusach Sfarad, Nusach Sfarad, it's not Sfaradi, it's different from Edith and Mizrach and what the Sfaradim do, but the Nusach Sfarad that he made was in this way... It was supposed to be a conglomerate, like a combination of all the different philos of all the shvatim together in order to make one that goes through. For that reason, by the way, it's interesting. It sounds like Ashkenaz is an actual one of those, those philos. Who knows? Maybe Ashkenaz is Yehuda's tefila, and Svard added on or made certain things that it would be all the shvatim together. I don't know. Yeah, Paul. Um, why not 13? What do you mean, 12 times? Because of Menashe Ephraim. Oh, Menashe Ephraim versus Levi. So for some, the Meashi law talks about, the Ishbister says, at all times we always know the Shvatim is 12. When there's 12 and Levi's included, the Menashe and Ephraim are, are one. When, when Levi's not included, the Menashe Ephraim are two, and that's 12. But we always want to go with the number 12. I would assume it's because that we have the 12 months of the year, we have the 12 parts of the Zodiac, meaning yeah, the different for, constellations, yeah, etc. And you're right, that's like, but it's an added. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? It's an added thing. 
but you are right, and I'm going to hold you to that, because hold on to that for a second. That's, that's part of the idea that we're going to have to go through. But all of this is like this. It could be that this is why every shavit was makbid. They had their own Sanhedrin, because only your own Sanhedrin could understand you as a person. Because my, another shape, it won't understand what I'm like as a person. I'm just, they won't understand me. So when Binyamin, if anybody knows their Nabi, and you should, because they're all a bunch of girls. So whenever you sat there and Pilegish Begiva, right? You're not, you're good, you're good people. So wait, <laughs> that sounds bad about girls. That's not what I meant. Pilegish Begiva, at the very, very end of Shoftim, Binyamin get up there and said, hey, hey, we have to judge ourselves. We're going to judge our own people. You can't judge our guys. There were evil people that did evil things. Binyamin said, we're doing it ourselves. We're going to take it on for ourselves. And Bnei Yisrael said, what are you talking about? This is a national issue. Binyamin had a taina. Their taina is, we are the sheva that should take care of this ourselves. We take care of it. We understand who these people and what happened with them. We'll do it. We'll take care of it. That's the concept over here. Now, it's int- we already did that idea of the, the, the 12 gates of the base of Technically, the base of Mikdash had a 13th shar. There was a 13th shar, and that gate was for those who didn't know their shevet. That was that. Perhaps that's the idea of the Arizal's 13th tefillah, the nusuch that he made for all those that was sort of like a combination type idea that goes through over there. Revolts even says that this is the idea of what we say at, with our pusik at the end of our Shemona Esrei that helps us remember our name when we go to Shemayim. How do you forget your name? And the answer is because you all have a job. Your job is based on your name. We don't understand it always, but our names represent who we are and what we have to do. And that should be used according to this. Maybe, maybe that's the idea of the 13th gate, the 13th shavit to be able to go through. So he says, but then we have a problem. If there's 13 gates, right? And there's 13 out there, that number 13, where was the 13th path through the Yamsuf? There were 12 paths in the Yamsu for the 12 Shvatim. As you just said, Paul, what, what about Ephraim and Asha Levi? So what about 13? So the easy answer is there was. There was 13 and Ephraim and Asha versus... But it seems that the Midrashim all say there were 12. What happened to the 13th one? That's where the Baramayim come, Chaim comes from. He says there was a 13th for people like Dustin and Aviram who didn't get it. Now, he doesn't say this, and I can't add on something like this. This is a medrash, and I, I can't, I, it's, it's, it's a Hasidish. It's, a, it's still the Baramayim Chaim was greater than anything. But maybe that's where the Erev Rav came from as well. It doesn't say how the Erev Rav got across the Yamsuf. Did they go with one of the Shvatim? Some say they went with Shevet Don. Shevet Don was the Ma'asef, Lecholamachnos. He gathered everyone together. But maybe, maybe, Dustin and Aviram led the Erev Rav through. And the 13th split was the 13th Shevet that allowed for those who were outside of Kalal Yisrael to be able to go along with them, for them to get everything just as well. I have absolutely no idea if you can even darshan such a thing. I didn't even know that you could darshan this about Dustin and crossing through the Amstuf on their own. But the Vermeim Chaim says it, and perhaps we could add on a coin to the idea that that's what happened with them. He brings down the 13th kilo lamchasto in Halal Gadol, Kuflamid Ches, that we say every Shabbos, is Ligozer Yamsuf Ligzorim, splitting the sea, the 13th one. Kilo Lamchasto. Maybe that's what Yisro saw that made him convert. Yisro saw not just Kriyas Yamsuf, but Kriyas Yamsuf for the Dustin and Aviram. Kriyas Yamsuf for the Erev Rav. That's what caused him to do something that was that great. Maybe that's the idea behind it. Yeah, Shlomo. I don't know if they were Zohar to go into Yamsuf with Bnei. So you're right, they were there. 
Did they cross over or did they stay there? I don't know what happened to them. See, I, it, that's the problem. If we go with the Medrash that there were 12 splits, one for every Shevet, what do you do with the Erev Rav? If you just say it was a split, they went through, so for sure the Erev Rav went with them. Why wouldn't they? But if it's specifically 12 Shvatim, what happened to the Erev Rav? That's really what I'm asking. I don't have an answer for it because I haven't seen it. And I'm thinking that maybe if there was this 13th split, then yes, the Erebrav stayed there. They weren't allowed in for whatever reason. And a Kaddish Baruch said, we have to see if they're serious. Maybe there had to be a seriousness to them. And they didn't have it. And when Dustin and Aviram and the Erebrav saw this and did tshuva to the level that they needed to get to, then they were able to cross into the Yom That's an idea. But obviously, I don't know. I have absolutely no idea. Nonetheless, obviously, we got to ask something. Because... HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't judge people according to what they're going to do in the future. Basher Hushami judges them according to where they are right now. And I understand that. There's no question about that, right? But Dustin and Aviram, I mean, are there any other two people? They did everything wrong. Everything you could possibly do wrong, they did well. <laughs> they did it as badly as you possibly could. They're the ones who are going to be there. Why are they even called B'nai Yisrael? They're the B'nai Yisrael. They represent B'nai Yisrael. Let them be called an Am. Let them be called something like that. Why would they be something like that? I, I, and we don't know. Revolfson ends off with one of the most amazing things. He says, we seem to, you know, as time goes on, we seem to say that there are certain people in Tanakh that we understand a little bit better. You know, when the Arizal came along, I, I say even after that, by the times of the Hasidim, you start understanding that Korach had a greatness to him. You look at Korach and Torah, and it seems like he's just an evil person. But there was a greatness to Korach. You start seeing the Miraglim, and you're seeing the reasons why they did it. They were really the greatest of the people, even though they messed up that badly. Zimri, Zimri, the Chazal come to tell us he's Shlumi El Ben Suri Shadoy. Yes, he made a mistake, a massive mistake that shouldn't have been done, and he's punished for it almost for all time because his name is in the Torah as Zimri for all time. Things get revealed as time goes on, and perhaps we're not there yet but there's someone who eventually will advocate for Dustin and Aviram as well. Maybe that's going to be Mashiach. Maybe somebody will see something greatness about Dustin and Aviram, something that's Shaykh to them that's not to anybody else because there is a greatness to them. If they were Zohar to have a 13th split in the Amsuf, there's something great to them, but we're just not there yet. Until then, we have a strange Medrash. But <laughs> with this, we can possibly understand maybe there's something that we're missing, and that's okay. We're missing something. We don't fully understand what Dustin and Abiram were doing or why it happened, but it happened. Okay, that brings us to the next idea. I'm going to go quickly a little bit through this part. This is more of a translation part, but the word nevuchim. Nevuchim is a weird word. Rashi says it means to be sunk into the land, to be locked up. He says, emek habacha, right? Bechia naharos, nivchayam. They're jailed by the desert. They don't know how to go. The Rashbam says this wasn't a physical thing. It was, a, it was just a normal thing. They're scared out of their minds. They've never been out of their city before in their life. They're all of a sudden in a desert, a wide open area, and it's like, freedom! And then they don't know what to do with themselves. What do they do? They got out. They're all happy. They're smiling like, we did it. We did it. Now what? Now where do we go? We're stuck in the desert. Again, we know that the eventuality was there to Saul. Paro didn't. Paro sees the people and he says, they're confused. They don't know what to do. They're scared out of their minds. They thought that freedom was going to be there for them. And then what? And then what? What are they going to do? 
That's the confusion they're in. And that's why he said it's time to take advantage and bring them back. That's the rush bomb over here. This Forno, he says that this was done by Baltzaphon. I have a whole sheer on this, and this is a couple years ago. Baltzaphon was the idol of the Egyptians that looked like a dog and was the god of gold who was on the outskirts of Mitzrayim. And when he saw Ben Esau going back to Baltzaphon, it seemed that Baltzaphon was the god that they believed in the whole time. It wasn't Hashem. It was Baltzaphon. That's why they borrowed. What did they borrow when they left Mitzrayim? Borrow. Right? They took gold and silver out of Mitzrayim because he's the god of gold and silver. So we thought that maybe that's what it is. And that's why the Miamloi says that's why no slave was ever successful in leaving Egypt because Baltifon confused them. And that's the idea behind it. So maybe that's what's happening. Targum Yonasan says the exact same thing. The Paro assumed his tefillahs to Baltifon were accepted. And Ben Esau were therefore confused and could not find their way out. And that's what it means by Nivuchim. They were confused by Baltifon itself. The Torah more. This is Mamash a crazy thing. The Torah more says. This was a belief that was cultivated by Hashem for years and years and years. The Baltzaphon made people confused when they left Mitzrayim. What actually happened? Nothing. You know, the Satan, you know, caused these people, they weren't Zoha to leave Mitzrayim, so therefore they didn't leave. But they believed, they mamish believed that Baltzaphon had the power to confuse people and make them lost. Listen to this Zohar. It's the Medrash Analam, Zohar Chadash, Yutes Aleph. It's brought down by the Tzorah Mor, by the notes of the Tzorah Mor. There was a certain house of idol worship that was known for healing the blind and the lame. Those who have done Gemara Yuma will recognize, uh, Vodazara, I'm sorry, will recognize this is very similar to a Gemara in the nuns. Very similar. It was known for healing the blind and the lame. There was a Jewish man whose son was lame, and he couldn't find anybody to heal him. There was nothing that could heal him. So he decided, you know what? I'm going to go to this house of idol worship. Maybe the house of idol worship can heal my son. So he brought him there. He stayed to watch what would happen. And at night, he stayed up the entire time. He would not go to sleep. The middle of the night, he saw a shade, a demon, that came into the room and did something, sprinkled something onto all the people and made them heal. He healed them. Either he made people that were blind able to see. He was able to make people that were you know, lame. He was able to make them walk. He was doing everything. But he skipped over this man's son. So the man approached the shade. And he said, why did you skip over my son? Go heal my son as well. So the shade answered, you have no chalik in this refuah. You have nothing to do with this, he told the Jew. You have nothing to do with this. Right? He said, HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't allow us to get involved with your people. As for these people, the reason why they're being healed, it was their time to be healed anyway. So they came in at the time that the Gezerah and Shemaim was up. So I'm allowed to heal them and make them think that it was from this Avodah Zarah. But it's not really the Avodah Zarah. It's really, if they would have been sitting at home, they would have been healed at this moment as well. HaKadosh Baruch Hu fools them into thinking that it's this Avodah Zarah when it's really absolutely nothing to do as well. And says the Torah more, that's what happened to Paro and Balsaphon. Paro Mamish thought Balsaphon was real. He thought that it was there and it was cultivated over years and years and years. And Hashem was allowing that to happen. For years and years and years, people got lost and blamed it on Balsaphon. And Paro said, see, see, see. So when it happened now, he was convinced enough to say, I got this. I got this. I'm going to go after B'nai Israel. I'm going to take care of B'nai Israel. Brilliant. That's the idea behind it. As a side note, by the way, if Balsaphon was really that powerful, do you remember B'nai Ephraim escaped 30 years earlier? The Medrash, the Bnei Ephraim, left 30 years earlier. It's in the beginning of this week's Parsha in Targum Yonasan, in the very first Pasuk, that the Bnei Ephraim left... I'm sorry? 
and you have the Valley of Bones that Yechezkel sees later on, according to one opinion, there's six different opinions there, but one opinion of the Gemara and Sanhedrin is that, how were they able to escape if they couldn't get, they can't get through Baltifone? How could you get through? The Biyam always brings three answers. There's a bunch of answers. The Biyam always brings three. Number one, they were killed in the end, so they didn't escape. <laughs> like, it happened. They, they didn't get lost, they just got killed. So there's it, not much of a Shiloh. But number two, B'nai Ephraim were royalty in Egypt. They were never enslaved. So you can't call them slaves that got out of Mitzrayim, that left over there. Baltzvon wouldn't allow slaves to escape, but regular people, citizens, were allowed to leave if they wanted to, and therefore B'nai Ephraim were able to get out. That's number two. And number three, brilliant. Baltzvon was in the southeast of Mitzrayim. If you wanted to escape to the northeast, you could make it out. But you couldn't go to the southeast. If you went to the southeast, Baltzvon confused you. The B'nai Ephraim went, Derech Eretz Plishtim. That's where they went. So therefore, they weren't confused by Baltzvon because Baltzvon was only in that area, not in that area. It's a brilliant answer. Yeah, Shalom. There, you know, you should know, there is a Meshachachma who says something crazy, but it, it's mentioned, he says it. The reason why Reuven, Shimon, and Levi are mentioned in the beginning of Parsha Shemot, we go through the Yichus, he says none of them were enslaved in Mitzrayim. And there's another medrash that says, the Torah Shlema brings it, that Ephraim and Menashe, because they were the sons of Yosef, were never enslaved. You ever wonder who the four-fifths of B'nai Yisrael were that died? Like, what happened to them? Who were they? Why would, why would they die? And wouldn't everybody notice that, you know, <laughs> there's three million people that left, 12 million people died? So it's possible that they always, those were Jews, Ephraim and Menashe were Jews who intermarried, got involved with the Egyptians around them, they married into their families, and they were indiscernible from the other Egyptians. It could be that they died, and no one knew that they were Jews. Everybody thought that they were just Egyptians, but they were really from Ephraim and Menashe. It's a kasha, and it's a good kasha, but it's possible that they were never involved in the slavery whatsoever, and I've reshown him and achron him to back that up. Strange, but because we only know of Shevet Yosef, but it's possible that that was involved with over there. Now, I, I, there is a Tzfaris Yonison over here. There's a lot of different explanations for the words Sagara Lama Midbor. Sagara Lama Midbor, there's the Taurus Chaim Vamuna, which is beautiful, an unbelievable shot. There's another idea from the Mechilta. He says that's what happened to Ben Yisrael when they were, the sea was raging among them. Sagara Lama Midbor is the whole thing closed up on them, that there were wild animals that wouldn't let them go through so that they could go to the Kriyas Yamsuf itself. The Oznayim Torah has one, the Abar Benel has one, the Taurus Moshe, the Chassam Sulfur. He says something, an ode Yosef Chai as well. Here's a drush that comes from here. But I'm going to end with this mechilta. This mechilta, Torah Shlema, and the Alshech. And he says, the mechilta says the Paro claimed that Moshe was confused himself and not sure what to do. Nevuchim Haim Ba'aretz is, it was Moshe Rabbeinu who was confused, although it says Haim and it's plural. More Nevuchim, this is obviously the Rambam, but he named his Sefer More Nevuchim says in Chela Gimel Perak Nun that this word is something that the nations describe Jews as even today. And the truth is, unfortunately, they're somewhat correct. We're confused. We don't know what we're doing. We no longer deserve the mantle of the chosen nation. We're Nevuchim. We don't know where we're supposed to be with our world. Yes, Paro was saying it in the context of they're in the desert and they don't know where to go. They're confused and lost and they don't know what to do with themselves. But this is a line that the nations have said about us for all time. We're confused. And the truth is, I mean, think about it. In a way, we are. 
We know what we're supposed to do. There's no shaila. But does that mean it's easier for me to wake up for chakras in the morning? Does that mean that it's easier for me to learn when I have extra time at home? Does that mean that I, it's easier for me to turn away from something that sh- I shouldn't be looking at? Of course, of course, we, we know what we're supposed to do. It's almost as if we have 100% a muna. It's just, we're sitting there and we say, but I'm a little confused. There's just something that I need. Navuch yam is the word over here. It's almost like a sea is raging among me. There are waves that are coming to crash and overtake me. And I don't know how to get out of it. And I want so badly to get out of it. I would do anything to get out of it. And I'm just not able to do it. The desert is that reference to a way of life where we sit there and we feel sometimes like we're in a desert, like we have nothing around. There's no oasis. There's nowhere for me to go. There's nothing for me to drink from, nothing for me to be able to get. And it's right there. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. It, it's a strange thing. When I was, last week, I was in Henderson, Nevada. Henderson, Nevada. Beautiful place. Absolutely beautiful community. And I went, I took my kids to the Hoover Dam. Now, they didn't have any tours. I'd never been there before. It is absolutely a marvel of human accomplishment. A marvel of human accomplishment. Obviously, with Siata Deshmaya. Marvel. It's crazy what they were able to do. And I didn't even realize this, that the drinking water for most of Los Angeles and Phoenix and Las Vegas, which are all desert areas, which doesn't have regular fresh water to be able to sustain, those are, is all from the Hoover Dam, which created Lake Mead that brings drinking water and electricity energy to all those areas around. I didn't even realize that. I didn't realize. I had no idea. And I was reading about it and going through, and I couldn't believe the, the, the beauty, the greatness, the absolute greatness that a Kaddish Baruch allowed these people to figure out right over there. And this is a desert. It's a desert. We were hiking every day in these areas that have zero, there's no water. It's like little, little ponds right over there, but they haven't had water there for 200 days. They haven't had a good rainfall for 200 days straight. So there's nothing. It, it was all like dry and everything like that. And then there's this huge lake in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of nowhere. And the mussel, to me, I think is something really simple. We feel like we're in the middle of the desert. We feel like we have absolutely nothing to do with us. And we're nevuchim. We're confused. And we don't know what to do. But right there in front of us is a yam. Right there. It's the end of that word, nevuchim. There's a yam right there in front of us. All we need to do is look for the sea. Look for that yam. Look for the water that's right there. HaKadosh Baruch will show it to us and allow it to be that way. In fact, one could even say that the word Nebuchim comes from the word Bechia. And that's the Torah Shlema from the Shach. They were crying. He thought that they meant they had no idea what to do, that they were crying in the midbar. God, where should we go? Where should we go? And Paro said, let's take advantage. Let's go. They're confused. They're crying. They don't know anything. But for us, crying is not a cry of giving up. A cry is a cry to HaKadosh Baruch Hu to help. We're asking HaKadosh Baruch Hu to do more than just putting us in the midboard and getting us. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, do more for us. Help us find exactly what it is we're looking for. Bring us to exactly where we need to go. The Alshech says, Paro and the Mitzrayim made a massive mistake here. What they should have done is gone after B'nai Yisrael and told them, we understand you're frightened. We get it. You're scared. Come back with us because the midbar is a scary place. You don't want to be there for 40 years. The Yamsuf is a scary Yam. Why would you want to go there? Come back with us, they should have said. We'll treat you as equals. We'll allow you to become part of our nation. Everything will be forgiven. That's what they should have done. But they didn't. And had they done so, B'nai Yisrael may have been okay with it. As we said, Dustin and Aviram were there trying to convince them to go back. 
And there was a section of Ben Yisrael that were saying, let's go back, let's go back. But they didn't. Hashem hardened their hearts to come after them with war in mind. And that caused Ben Yisrael to stay with Moshe Rabbeinu rather than fight their own master, the old masters. I want you to think about that. It could have been a very, very scary, bitter ending had the Mitzrayim made a different decision, had a different decision in mind. Scary thing to think about. But Baruch Hashem, B'nai Yisrael made the right decision. We had Kriyas Yamsuf, and that led us to where we are today. Confused, but we know. We're Nabuch, we're crying for the Yam, waiting for that Yam to be there for us, so that we know that when Mashiach comes, HaKadosh Baruch Hu always had this as a plan for us the entire time. Have a good job, everyone.